0: Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Hey, good morning, Living Word Family Church. Good to see you here. Uh, good that you're seeing us there. I can't see you out there in TV land, but I'm glad you're joining us. A little bit of a thin crowd here in person today. I know we've got several people down in Tulsa for uh, Dave Gulliford's Raymond graduation. I know there's other uh, probably graduation-related activities that are keeping some people away today, and hope things will settle down even though we're heading into the vacation season. Uh, season seasoning. The vacation season. What's vacation seasoning? Something barbecue, I guess. Uh, But it's good to have you here with us today. Um, Quick uh, update such as it was. Haven't heard much more uh, from Brenda. She is uh, um, just to share with you uh, her church family um, that the decision to uh, not receive visitors over the last few days was a determination made by her hospice nurse. And she is unresponsive at this point anyway. Uh, this, it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to walk through with anybody, but this is a decision she made. I believe it's godly that we honor it and recognize that, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's not a, there's not a, there's never a good time for this. You think, well, maybe if she was a little older, it'd be easier to accept. This is her choice, and, and, uh. My goodness, there's no better place to be than in, than home with with Jesus. If that's if that's uh, what the decision she's made, this is, folks, this has got to become a reality to us because it's something we're all going to have to face at some point in our life, right? Right? I uh, know that's, that's a little bit of a downer because you know, and, and it should be because death is still an enemy. But man, when it's when it's all over and we're home with Jesus, we're all going to be, we're none of us are going to be sitting there thinking, you know, I think I liked it better on earth, you know. But meanwhile. Just keep her in your prayers. Her sister Pam and um, Pam's uh, daughter-in-law will be uh, staying with Brenda uh, for the the, uh, foreseeable future. Pray for her for strength and clarity and everything else that needs to happen there. And thank those of you who have invested so much in in helping her over the past several weeks. Uh, And we've... uh, we do have some plans for graduation. We're a little bit behind on that stuff, and I apologize, but this is something that, that uh, Matt and I were talking about, and we're going to have similar to last week. I think the plan at this point is to do another drive-through. We talked about doing something indoors, but the parents we talked to, the, the majority seem to be more comfortable with the idea of a drive-through uh, graduation open house here after church two weeks from today, and we'll give you details about that via email over the next couple days but we do want to honor our graduates. Today, uh, I want to continue talking about faith, continue talking about words of faith. How do we build faith in our lives? And I guess what I'm going to start by talking about, and we're going to go a little bit deeper, I think, next week along this line, but the the higher things that we exercise faith for. Um, You know, Jesus said... Uh, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these. I always, I always point that out because there are some who say, well, Jesus did miracles, but he doesn't expect us to do miracles. He said, we do greater works, and that's talking about reaching more people. It's talking about uh, leading them to salvation, which couldn't happen until he went to the cross, etc. But Jesus didn't say, uh, he who believes in me will do greater works than me. He says, he will do the works that I did. And greater works than these that's important that we're supposed to do both and if we are not experiencing that in our lives one of the things we need to be exercising faith for in terms of our faith confession is that we will you hear me i'm not saying don't confess your healing don't confess your provision don't confess your protection don't don't confess anything over you at all do those things They're promises, right? And this is what we have really hammered the last few weeks. If God has said it, we can speak these things over our lives. But don't stop there. All right? Aim your faith confession at the well done. Faith does work in our lives for healing, provision, protection, but faith is something we are supposed to exercise in order to do things. You You had to exercise faith in order to be saved, right? In order to be born again. But that's not where the well-done comes from. The applause of heaven is reserved for those who have exercised their faith to do the will of God for their lives on the earth. Now remember, uh, last week, we talked mostly about the centurion's faith. We talked about faith that amazed Jesus. And we compared what happened with the centurion's servant to a couple of other healing miracles and I wanted to clarify, because a couple people had asked me a question about the, the central point, I guess. Uh, so let me try to make this clear, and we'll refer to this a couple more times later on in this message. Uh, is that when Jesus was called to the house of Jairus, uh, the, a leader in the synagogue there, uh, it, was a, it was a desperation, Lord, come and heal my daughter. She's dying. And there was faith expressed in every one of these miracles that Jesus did, but there are different levels of faith. And I would rank Jairus' at at the the lowest. his, His only expression of faith was having enough faith to at least reach out to Jesus for this healing. But when Jesus went to the house and took the little girl, who had died by that time, by the way, he raised her from the dead. And then Jesus said what? Get her some food and don't tell anybody about this. All right? Uh, On the way there, the woman with the issue of blood expressed her faith by saying beforehand, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be cleansed. And her expression of faith was that and her reaching out and touching his garment. And she received her healing. And Jesus said what? According to your faith. Your faith, rather, has made you whole. And then the blind men hollered out to him. A little later, son of David, have mercy on us. And he went into the house and said, do you believe I'm able to do this and they said we believe and he said what don't say anything about this after he healed their eyes and then the centurion sent for him saying my servant is sick and then sends words saying, you don't even need to come just speak the word and he'll be healed and that's when Jesus said this is great faith I have not seen such great faith in all Israel now Jairus Received his daughter back from the dead. This was a greater miracle, but a lower level of faith. Jesus pointed to the centurion's faith and said, this is the kind of faith I want you talking about. Faith that says, if God said it, I can receive it. Without a vision. I don't need a vision. I don't need a sign. I don't need anything to hang my faith on except a word from God. That's the central message there, all right? So... uh, once again, one important element there is that, uh, that he said it. Uh, the miracles of healing we looked, li- looked at last week, everybody had some level of a confession of faith. And uh, you, can, you can go listen to last week's message because we made a little bit, we kind of concentrated on those things. The question I want to take up today takes us back to a few weeks ago when we were talking specifically about the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth is what defiles you. Uh, uh, James has a whole passage on the power of the tongue and how it directs the course of our lives and even the world, the power of our words. And so what I wanna know is there's something we can do or something we can be saying that will cause our faith to be greater. If words can change the course of our lives, Even if my words can change the course of somebody else's life, surely there are things that we can be saying that will make our faith stronger, more effective, more reliable. And the first part of that answer is simply speaking God's word. You speak God's word, you speak God's will over yourself. Yes, absolutely. Read the Bible, listen to the Bible. Listen to the Bible. It's great for your soul. Max McLean, you guys ever hear him listen to the Bible? Okay. Listen to the Bible. Uh, Listen to word-based music. Listen to word-based preaching and teaching. Get the word in you so that you can speak it out. And then when circumstances arise, actually, when you arise, when you rise up in the morning, you start speaking the things that you've been hearing and reading. It's in the application. That's where the doing begins. The doing begins with you speaking. You are not doing the will and accomplishing the will of God simply by learning it, hearing it, reading it, knowing about it. You have to start putting action, and it starts with what you say. So start saying things about yourself in the morning when you arise that the word says about you. What what deep spiritual truths can I speak over myself that I know reflect God's will for me? How about this? God loves me. Does that make a difference? Am I, in my mind, does it make a difference in how I believe God is going to treat me if I know that God loves me or if I'm not convinced he loves me? Absolutely makes a difference. Does it make a difference? Do you treat people different when you love them? God loves me. God is for me. Jesus loves me enough to die for me. I can do all things through Christ. I am the healed of God. My needs are abundantly supplied. I can hear the voice of God. I can do everything he has commanded me to do. I can heal the sick. I can cast out demons. I have no fear. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Now again, the highest expression of faith is what? It's obedience. The word says that whatever is not of faith is sin. So another way of saying that is that sin is an expression of a lack of faith. And that's something we are going to talk about later. I don't have time to get into it today. But I bring it up now to acknowledge that spirituality is not measured by how much you read the word. It's not measured by how much, I'm sorry, it's measured by how much you do the word. We know that we are to preach the gospel. And it is a super important idea to grasp that God will empower you, equip you to do the things that he calls you to do. Therefore, if he has indeed commanded me to preach the gospel and you to preach the gospel, to share your faith, you have to believe that you can. You absolutely can share your faith. So stop saying you can't. Stop saying, I love Jesus, I just don't know how to share it. Stop saying that recognize that you have some improvement to do but start saying what the word says because if he says to do it it means you can do it it means he is there ready to equip you to do it so say you don't have to brag and you don't have to lie i'm getting better every day at sharing my faith every day i understand my faith better and every day god is building in me the ability to effectively share it to speak it and uh, see others brought to faith through my ministry And start doing that. Speak about ministering to others, preaching the gospel to the world. All that is effective and important, but don't ignore this. This is where I really wanted to get to today. Uh, And there's so many things uh, that we we will need to talk about over the next couple weeks. But I I, I guess this was uh, as good a place to start as any. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but to one and this but sorry but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills now this is a little sermon within a sermon but it's important that we get some context here Paul is writing these letters, these words, to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was not known as a spiritually mature bunch. They were largely a very carnal, immature bunch, spiritually speaking. But they did not lack in manifestations and operation of spiritual gifts. So let's get that through our heads right off the bat. Spiritual gifts... Even signs and wonders are not indicative of spiritual maturity. Somebody who speaks in tongues, somebody who prophesies, somebody who ministers healing, these are great, these are absolutely of God, but just because somebody can and does operate in those manifestations does not mean they are spiritually mature. This is a tough thing, even for seasoned believers, seasoned charismatic believers. These are gifts of God, and they are good, but you do not have to be spiritually mature to do them. Okay? This is really the message Paul is getting through there, because what I think you're going to see, and I always, when I get to this portion of Scripture, I always want to encourage people to read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, at least the first half of chapter 14. Read them all together and get this context because it's all part of one message to a church that was not doing the wrong things, but they were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. There was a lot of charismania in the church in Corinth. There was a lot of speaking in tongues. And Paul didn't condemn speaking in tongues. He says, but you've gotten something out of order here. You're not doing these things right. Now, Again, remember this, Jairus received one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament. His little girl was brought back from the dead. But his faith was not something that Jesus held up as an example. It wasn't Jairus' spiritual maturity that got his daughter uh, healed or raised from the dead. Here in chapter 12, Paul goes on next, and I'm not going to read this passage, but I encourage you to because it's a beautiful, beautiful passage where he uses the illustration of the human body. So you've got all these different gifts. It's kind of like different parts of the body. You've got fingers, you've got toes, you've got a head, you've got eyes, you've got a nose, but it's all one body. We don't talk about the body as separate. Well, I didn't do that. My arm did that. No, we all work, the body works together, and if if you're, you're, one part of your body is competing with another part of your body. That's just not natural. It's not right, and you won't get anything done. He says the church is the same way. We are a body, and you might have, uh, God might distribute his gifts on, at any given time. And I'll, I'll interrupt myself to say this. This isn't in my notes, and this is a sermon within a sermon within a sermon. Uh, that, and, and I'm not dogmatic about this, but I believe when it says he distributes these gifts individually as he wills, I don't think that that means that he permanently endows us with, per, with particular gifts. Meaning, he might move on you to bring forth a word of knowledge. He might decide to minister miraculous healing through you. It doesn't mean that you have been permanently identified as a healer, or a prophet, or a word of knowledge person. Any, any more than uh, a tongue talker or interpreter. I, I think often the reason we see some of the same people exhibit or manifest these gifts is it's something that God has used them in before. And once you've done it, you become, it becomes a little more natural, a little easier for you to yield in that area. I might be wrong about that. But I think, I'll make my case for it a little bit later. All that to say, when you, when you uh, yield to the Spirit of God, operate in this gift whether it's a gift of tongues interpretation word of knowledge word of wisdom prophecy discerning of spirits miracles healing uh it is always going to be for the good of the assembly this is what it's for it is not about your spirituality this is his message what is good for the body because he's talking about these things happening in the church in the assembly now uh, unfortunately what we see and you, you have to read between the lines but not much is almost an atmosphere of people competing with one another oh you've got tongues I've got better tongues and so you have these competing tongues or oh you've got tongues I've got a word of now I've got a, oh, I see a demon over there I've got I can I can discern I've got spiritual discernment. Uh, and Paul's like, that's not what this is about. This is not a time for you to stand up and display how spiritually gifted you are because giftedness does not equal maturity. Your goal needs to be what is is to, to allow God to work through you what is best for the body in that moment. What is needed for this assembly? What is needed in this moment? What is needed is a word of knowledge that is going to, means somebody hears from God that, that healing is available and then I'm going to manifest the gift of healing in this person and they're going to lay their hands on him and he's going to be healed. And he just might prophesy at that moment. And God is, this is the beautiful picture of God orchestrating hundreds of individuals and, and causing them to look like one body. And Paul is saying, but you are too focused on looking how, uh, uh, seeing how gifted, everybody else seeing how gifted you are. So he, so he draws this long, uh, very detailed picture of the body working together and then says this, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? We've done this before, but bear with me. What is the answer Paul is expecting here? Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Say it out loud. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? No. Hang on. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. This is where it gets very very exciting. There's a couple things because what follows is what? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, also known as the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. And he talks about the superiority, the primacy of love. We're going to read this whole thing because it's not very long. Uh, And I have to admit to you, that when I hear or read how badly chapter 13 has been misinterpreted. Well, sometimes it's hard for me to walk in love when I hear certain teachers or read certain teachers writing, writing about this chapter in the context of the gifts. But what it often boils down to is this. Actually, what it boils down to is this. Paul acknowledges that, yes, there are spiritual gifts, But he clearly writes that not everyone works miracles or speaks in tongues, etc. So he's going to write a chapter about how relatively unimportant the gifts are by extolling the superiority of love. That's how some people interpret it. Now we can't get around chapter 12. Yes, there are spiritual gifts. Yes, there are tongues. Yes, there are miracles. But Paul's saying if you want something better than the gifts, here it is it's love that is not i promise you it is not at all what paul is saying it's certainly it's not what god is saying through paul he's saying this uh and 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 seriously some people take that to to an extreme where they they might not say it this way but essentially what they're saying is yeah there are gifts but ignore them grow out of them grow past them just walk in love because that's the goal Or the gifts of the Spirit are good, but love is better, so just love. When in fact, what people are afraid of, I believe, is that the gifts can be messy. Uh, And they can be. Things were a mess in Corinth. And Paul acknowledged the mess without ever blaming the gifts. You know what else can be messy? Uh, They may have shared this illustration with you before, too. Power tools. Uh, I've heard of a lot, even recently, and people I know who have been uh, terribly hurt using power tools. <laughs> Anybody know? Anybody experience that? Know people? Yeah. Uh, why don't they just outlaw power tools? You can do a lot more damage to yourself with a bandsaw or a circular saw than you can with a good old-fashioned handsaw, right? Or a drill. Why don't we just get back to... Why? because it's a lot more efficient and we can get a lot more done with power tools, can't we? Can you imagine trying, I know people do it, these, these old pioneer types, they make the videos, they're gonna build a house by hand. I mean, they'll start by chopping down the trees themselves. Uh, but uh, I'd just rather use power tools and expertise and have this thing go up in uh, a lot less time, wouldn't you? This is kind of what the gifts are for, all right? Yeah, it might be safer, if we said no gifts, it might be neater, it might be less mess, but we're not going to get as much done. We are not meant to do this without the tools that God has given, given us, uh, these gifts that God has put at our disposal. And yeah, let's just admit it, sometimes we might mess up, but it's not the gift's fault, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault, all right? Now, uh, here is what, uh, yeah, I, got, I got off track again. Let's read this. Let's just go ahead and read it before I say anything else. First Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, I want you to highlight the word then, for those of you who can highlight. Uh, in your, if you've got an actual copy of the Bible, you can often highlight electronically. But then, uh, where was I? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, first off, let's, I, I know, I'm speaking this kind of as an, an apologist to a group of people who I, I know largely <laughs> embrace the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts. But hear this. Let's dispense with one of the most common and egregious errors committed by committed cessationists. Yes, it does say that tongues, prophecy, etc., will cease. They'll vanish. It even tells us When? When will these gifts cease to be in operation? When that which is perfect has come. Now, those who no longer acknowledge the operation of spiritual gifts claim that this is a reference to the closed canon of Scripture. In other words, we have the Old Testament. When the New Testament is complete, this is what Paul's referring to, and the canon of Scripture is closed, then that is over because the word perfect really does mean complete or mature. So it's saying when we have the whole Bible, we have when that which is perfect has come. And there will be no longer a need for the spiritual gifts. But can that possibly really be what he meant? Look at verse 12. Like I said, underline the word then in two places. When is then? Then is when that which is perfect has come. What else could then be referring to in the context of this passage? All right, Because he says, when that which is perfect has come. And then he says, now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know as fully as I am known. So when is he talking about? Now listen, I love the Bible. And I do believe the canon of Scripture is closed. And I believe it is sufficient for doctrine, for correction, for training in righteousness and so on but I humbly admit that I still know in part. Does anybody else in this room, in that camp, that you know some things and you believe some things, but you don't know at all? Okay. And I believe that I see things more clearly every day, that I can see God in things more clearly day by day, but I do not see him face to face. Do you? Okay, so it looks to me like at least several of you and I are in the same boat. Wherever we are in history, we are not at the point when that which is perfect has come. I think when that which is perfect has come must mean the consummation of the kingdom of God. When we are physically, manifestly in his presence. We are talking about heaven. This is after the general resurrection that while I see God in fresh and exciting ways I do not yet see him face to face, but I will then it's perfect And when we are there when that perfect kingdom has come Guess what? We don't need prophecies anymore. We don't need tongues and interpretation. We don't need healing Why would we need healing? There's no sickness in heaven Why would we need discerning of spirits when there are no demons in heaven, right? but until then So when he says, I show you a more excellent way, he was writing about how the gifts are for building up, for blessing, edifying the whole body, not for displaying your personal spirituality. When he says, earnestly desire the best gifts, that's not a matter of ranking the gifts. We talked about that. It's a matter of determining what the best gift is for this group on this time in this moment. What Paul is saying is stop arguing about which gift is best. Stop competing to try to demonstrate to one another who is the most spiritual. The gifts are not about the gifted. They're not about you. You want to know if you are doing it right? Chapter 13 is what I'm about to do in this operation of this gift. Is this about me or is this about love? Is it about seeking the good of the congregation? Is it about elevating my spirituality for everybody to witness? Or is it about ministering to the body? So I measure my spirituality and my motives by what he says in chapter 13 about not being puffed up and seeking myself, but being uh, focused on others and loving people. If you're not doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. Okay, now, back to our regularly scheduled sermon. In First Corinthians chapter, Corinthians chapter 14, and this is what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, when people say, well, I know people who believe in tongues, and again, I know I'm talking to a group of people mostly who do, but I just wish the Bible said more about it. And I'm telling you, between chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, You have a longer dissertation on the gifts in general and tongues in particular than you have anywhere in the bible about baptism And nobody questions baptism There's a longer this is a longer passage on this than any place we have about the lord's supper and we don't really Contest the the validity of communion, do we? So here he spends all this time Three whole chapters and I understand he's not writing chapters. He's writing a letter but this is a long passage on the gifts, and it includes chapter 13. But we get into chapter 14, and I'm gonna, this is the longest passage we'll read, and then I will make some remarks and we'll be done. But it's not the whole chapter, but, but uh, we'll begin in verse, uh, in verse 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I, that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. <sighs> okay. Okay. This is the part of the sermon where, once again, I have to remind myself that my goal in this message is not to convince you that tongues are for today or that they are for everyone because I'm speaking to a group that mostly believes that. My goal is to encourage you not to just believe it, but to do it. Now, start with this. Is it for everyone? Didn't Paul indicate at the end of chapter 12? We went through that thing. Do all prophesy? No. Do all have gifts of healing? Do I work miracles? No, no. Do I speak in tongues? Obviously, the expected answer there is no. But what you will see, I believe it's clear, and you can read through uh, the rest of this, but we, we covered the pertinent parts here in chapter 14, that Paul is now making a distinction between the gift, a public utterance in tongues, in the church, and the devotional prayer language. Of tongues because it doesn't make any sense this is Paul who's already talked about humility the value of love edifying the church and saying this needs to be your goal and not everybody has every gift but then he turns around and says uh, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you do I wish you all spoke with tongues he is making a distinction look when you're in the church it's about what's good for the body and that means prophecy is better than tongues because not everybody's going to understand the tongue. Now if you give a tongue, you better interpret or make sure an interpreter is present or somebody with that gift. They're saying if if ultimately if there's no interpretation, there shouldn't be any tongues because that's not going to bless anybody. I believe he's addressing something that was absolutely happening in Corinth. People were standing up and giving a tongue and everybody's going, "Woo, cool, tongues. It's spiritual." And Paul's like, "It's worthless unless there's prophecy, unless there's interpretation." But then he brings it back. He says, look, when I pray, when I pray in tongues, he's talking about prayer now. He's not talking about public utterance. He says, my spirit does what? It prays. It is edified. What's that mean? Built up. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing for your spirit to be built up? Yes. You understand. Oh, man, man. Bear with me. Oh, we got time. We got time. We got all kinds of time. We got another hour if we want If we, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. When you're born again, you become a spiritually alive individual. But you've still got this flesh, okay? And what does Paul say? What does God say in the New Testament? If you walk after the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, that there is always going to be, as long as we are in these bodies, There's going to be tension between what the flesh wants to do and what the spirit wants to do. And so where's the battleground? It's in between. It's in the mind. And that's why the renewing of the mind is so important. So if there's tension, if there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, is it a good thing to edify and build up the spirit? Yeah. What happens when you pray in the spirit? Your spirit is edified. Now Paul admits, now my mind is unfruitful. But does he say, who cares? Who cares about my mind? No. He says it right there. What's the conclusion? I'll pray in the spirit and in my, own la- in my own language. I'll pray with the spirit, which I don't understand, but it's still good for my spirit. And I'll pray with the understanding, which is good for everything else, including my mind. Does that make sense to you? I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Isn't that a weird thing to say, if not all speak in tongues? No, he's saying the public utterance isn't for everybody, but I wish you all prayed in tongues. Then your spirits would be edified, they would rule over your flesh, and you would be less apt to get up and just do a demonstration of the gift just to show how spiritual you are. You would be more concerned. If your spirit man is edified and built up, you are going to be ruled more by love because that's that's what the spirit does. There's this distinction between praying in tongues and the public utterance. These are two parallel lines of thought. They are complementary, not contradictory. All right. (sighs) I hesitate to share this story because I've shared it before, and some of you have seen the same thing. And so let me, let me, but I'm going to share it just because I see it as a good example of what I believe was happening in Corinth. But I don't want you to understand. I, I do want you to understand, I don't want you to think that I am slamming somebody. Because Paul is writing this, he clearly had individuals in mind. He knew these people, he lived there a long time. And so he's writing this letter saying, this stuff's going on, the competing tongues, whatever it was, your, your, your misplaced emphasis on the gifts or misplaced application. But he didn't say, you're going to go to hell and you're a fake Christian because of it. Did he? No. No. He didn't want them to stop doing the gifts. He says, just, you've got to understand what they're for. Uh, so with that, with, that, it's with that spirit in mind, I say this. I don't say this to condemn the two men, both of whom I could name, but I won't. But they were well-known ministers at the time uh, at a large meeting where they essentially at one point during the service started having, in their, with, each with microphone in hand, started having a conversation in tongues. I'm not talking. They uh, were—they weren't doing public utterances and then interpreting. They were looking at each other in front of thousands of people, talking very conversationally. And I'm watching this, and I just was grieved, and I'm still grieved when I think about it now, because I want to operate in love, and I want to believe all things, and because these men. Uh, had contributed greatly i believe to uh, my understanding and to the understanding of hundreds of thousands of believers worldwide i look at this and i think you know what they got swept up in the moment they got carried away i don't condemn them as false ministers but i believe the effect that moment had was ultimately not good for the body of christ because what it did was got people excited but it got them excited about what Two individuals who were operating on a spiritual plane that nobody else in that room could. It's it's an exact representation of what Paul's talking about. It's this, look how spiritual I am. I am so spiritual that I can converse with another individual who, who is as spiritual as I am, and nobody else in this room can even understand it. There was no interpretation, and there's nothing, again... Could they have been, I don't know, there might be other explanations, and I want to do it as kindly as possible. I do do it as an illustration of what the, the kinds of things that were possibly and I think likely going on in Corinth, that the idea of the gifts is to show how spiritual the gifted one is when that's not what the gifts are for, certainly not what tongues is for. I keep coming back to this my spirit prays. I speak mysteries. I edify myself. I build myself up. These are all things that passage says happen when I pray in tongues. So it is important. I believe it's important. Paul believes it's important enough to say, I wish you all spoke with tongues. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you do. Now Could he possibly be saying I'm so glad I'm much more gifted than you are after everything else? He's just said about giftedness. Could that possibly be what he's saying? I know not everybody speaks in tongues But I'm sure glad I speak in tongues more than you all No It would run absolutely counter to everything he'd written so far He's separating the value of private devotional praying in tongues from the public utterances The spirit distributes the gifts according to his will and he may operate through anyone at any time in the assembly with a public utterance in tongues, but praying in tongues is for everyone. I can't stand it, and I've seen it. You may have too. People will say or write, well, Paul, even the Apostle Paul held tongues in low esteem. Where do you get that? Look at all the positive things. What I do here all the positive things he writes about it just in this passage now uh, let's connect that quickly to our confession of faith to the prayer of faith we have spoken about the difference between for example a faith filled prayer and a prayer of desperation uh, Jairus there was desperation there there was faith we talked about it he came to Jesus after all the woman with the issue of blood her prayer was to reach out and touch his garment Saying what she had said, what would happen when she did? Be gone. The blind men, a little more desperation, but faith, because they said, We believe you're able to do this. And then there was the centurion. This was clearly just faith. You speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, the issue then, when I pray in tongues, is what is happening? My spirit is praying. My spirit is praying. But if it is praying in the spirit, who is orchestrating that prayer? If my mind is unfruitful, this is a prayer that is originating not in my head, but in my spirit, who is orchestrating that prayer? Who's bringing that prayer out of me? It's the Holy Spirit. That's why the very first time we see tongues is right after the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So, if the Holy Spirit is producing this prayer, is there any way this prayer is not perfect? I can't mess it up. This is one of those cute little sayings, but I absolutely believe it. Praying in the Spirit bypasses the bottleneck of the intellect. Sometimes we overthink our prayers, and sometimes we come out on the right side of it, sometimes we come out on the wrong side of it, but if it's just my spirit praying through my vocal cords, it's the spirit that prays through me to God the Father, that's got to be a perfect prayer cuz my mind can't mess it up. I can't outthink myself if my mind has nothing to do with that prayer. It must be a the kind of prayer that delights God. It must be perfectly in line with his will. I believe when I am praying in tongues my prayers are full of faith that my prayers are effective effectual and what happens again I am built up why because I'm speaking words of faith even if I'm not understanding them what does Jude verse 20 say right building yourself up you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit how does that work? And praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. That's how close I am to being done. How does that work? It works because, uh, going back to this simple truth, our words have power. Our words, your words, not just the words of God. Says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Our words have power to impart life, our words have power to heal, power to change my life, power to change your life. So important to be saying the right things, words that agree with God's words. And when you are praying in tongues, you cannot be not agreeing with God. When you are praying in tongues, you are speaking God's word over a situation and over yourself. Stand up with me as we really wrap this up. There is no need to be afraid of tongues. Those of you who have not experienced it Don't shy away from it. Don't resist it. But again, I'm speaking mostly, I know, to people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the vast majority of you who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit have experienced uh, a manifestation of that language, that that prayer language. We'll talk about some of the details. Uh, Is it tongues of angels or is it tongues of men? Is it an actual language, or is it, uh, uh, or is it, uh, what, what is the, ma- can the devil understand our prayer language? There's a good one. Uh, why is it so important to pray in tongues? We'll, we'll talk about that next week. Meanwhile, we can see clearly, scripturally, it's from God. And if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you have experienced praying in tongues, this really is supposed to be the number one message you leave here with. Do it, do it, do it. You don't get points in heaven for believing it or having experienced it. Your spirit is not going to be edified because you were baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1976. Your spirit is not going to be edified because you spoke in tongues once. It's as you pray in tongues, your spirit is built up. And you continue to speak out mysteries. And you continue, I believe with all my heart, to build yourself up in your faith by praying in the Spirit. Don't pray exclusively in the Spirit, but pray daily and often in the Spirit. So here's the thing. We've reached the point now where I want to give an invitation. But the first one is this, even though I haven't said much about it. This all revolves, everything that God has said through mostly Paul that we read today has to do with what is good for the body, which is us. It's us Corporately, that form the body, but it's also us individually as members. Whatever God has up His sleeve, whatever He wants to do through you, whatever, whatever way He wants to obey you, never lose sight of the fact that in the middle of all that, He desires good for you. It's where we started this morning. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. He's done great things for me. What's the best thing He's done for me? The things He's done through me. Meanwhile. He desires good things for you. And he designed you, created you, to live forever. He is, the Bible says this, uses this exact language, the author of life. And the life he created for you is life in his presence forever. This part that we call life now, uh, I love, C.S. Lewis called this the Shadowlands. I like that because it kind of coincides with what we just read. in Christ. We see now as dimly in a mirror. When we're out of the shadow lands and in, in the true light, we'll see life as it was really meant to be lived. The problem is, where these shadows come from? They come from sin. It's something you inherited. We all inherited from our first father, Adam. There's no denying it. Say, well, I was okay until I sinned. You were born a sinner. You eventually just manifested that. You sinned because... You have, it's, it's just in your nature, just like a tree produces whatever, it, an apple tree produces apples. You counter-gotsamide that sin, right? But God offers you a new nature. He says, sin keeps you from experiencing life as I designed you to have it. And unfortunately, the big scary truth is that's going to result in spiritual death, meaning eternal separation from God, meaning hell. There really is a hell, people. But there really is a heaven, and that's what was designed for you. It's what we were designed for. But in our current sinful state, we can't inherit it. So God says, here's only one solution for the sin, and that is for me to make you different, to give you a new nature. So I'm going to take that sin. This is the ugly part, the ugly part of the beautiful gospel. Sin can't be ignored. Sin has to be judged. Sin has to be punished. So what did Jesus do? Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, God the Son, came and ministered, and he went to the cross, took your sin, took my sin, all on himself, and God's judgment fell on Jesus. What did it fall on? What was judged at the cross? Your sin and my sin. So what's left for the believer? No judgment, no condemnation. That was all taken care of at the cross if you have trusted in Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So the first invitation is this. If you have never personally made a decision, yes, Lord, I know about the cross, I just never knew how it affected me. I've always known something, always kind of believed it, but I need to be saved. I need to be born again. I want to become your child today. I want to step into my inheritance of eternal life. If that's you today, and you're willing to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, just raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.